this is Keith Stan from Pike Spearing Outdoors, and you're listening to the Terrible Outdoorsman Podcast. We're probably going to mess up. We're going to cuss here and there. If I'm not catching anything, I might as well not be catching a muskie. Ecky Rick! We got weights and fish! <laughs> Mr. Green Jeans. Danny Irving with Fishing Complete. You're listening to the Terrible Outdoorsman Podcast. We do drink. That's a thing. That's a humble bumble. <laughs> Hi, this is Spencer Berman from Spencer's Angling Adventures, and you're listening to the Terrible Outdoorsman Podcast. Welcome to the Terrible Outdoorsman Podcast. Got Ryan Collin, your host. Bob Collin. Yo, yo, yo. What up for show? Jimmy Dalmage. Hi. Daniel Sun in the house. We got a couple guys on the line. We got Captain Jason. Tuning in from an undisclosed location, Captain JG. <laughs> and we got our special guest back. We got Spencer Berman on the line. How's it going, Spencer? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming back. Welcome we obviously back. didn't scare you away uh, too much. Too much. Every other guest just ghosts us after these. It's so. <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah, we no, haven't heard from Keys. All, all of a sudden, he's just going to disconnect. Yeah. <laughs> Mike Keys isn't returning our calls. No, he's not. <laughs> all of a sudden, we no longer have a subscription with him, but we're still paying. So, <laughs> Yeah. Well, I appreciate you coming back on. Um, I know you're going to start amping up here in a couple weeks, right? Yep. Yep. You got uh, – so, so we're going to – this episode, we're going to talk uh, – pretty much primarily walleye the last episode we were pretty heavy yep. in the musky world so uh when's your first uh trip you said it was around like the 25th was around that time frame that you're you start your trips yeah tw- saturday, saturday the 25th will probably be my first trip that's the first one of the books if by chance it starts going a little bit earlier maybe i'll add a day or two but the the 10-day forecast is actually getting a little bit colder here for a, for a second so uh i think i should be spot on and honestly those fish also it's not all temperature driven like a lot of it is daylight oriented and things like that no it seems like they do kind of show up the same time every year other than some resident fish so i mean the 25th is pretty much my solid starting date no matter what day it falls and this happens to fall on a saturday this year nice okay cool well, before we get into that, so uh, the last episode we had talked about Mike Keys, and you had kind of talked about how like how cool of a guy Mike Keys was, and you were right. That dude was super cool. <laughs> yeah. um, we had so much fun with him. Um, he was way more, uh, I guess, willing to share information than I thought he was <laughs> yeah, gonna. He was. Oh man, we got into controversies. He started talking yeah, about. We talked was... about Corn Bob, some dude from Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It got it got wild there towards the end. Oh my god! Yeah, it um, turns out Spencer that Jason, Captain Jason, and uh, Mike Keys like frequented like the same festival, and I guess Jason knew like exactly what it was, and he said Keys called him out for losing a corn cob eating contest to a man named Corn Bob. And it was like, it's like the irony of that whole entire situation. Yeah, but what are the odds of that, that Jason yeah. was, uh, were you working over there, Jason, or was that when school, you were at school? Right? He was yeah. in grad school, yeah. It was when I was in school, yeah, and there was a festival, and when uh, we were talking about Stevens Point and that area and stuff, and I go, oh, by the way, 
you ever been to the corn on the curb? And that kind of <laughs> led us down a rabbit hole that oh, resulted man. in identifying <laughs> the fact that I got second place to corn Bob. And then I shared with these guys a link to an article from the local newspaper. And I'm in the picture, in the background, <laughs> eating corn on the top. So there's photographic evidence. I'm not just making this up. What's weird <laughs> is this is the first I've seen this, but the picture it, correct me if I'm wrong, but it looks like you're eating the corn the long way. I've never seen that before. <laughs> it's a different technique. You know? It works. I thought that'd be um, faster. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but Spencer, Mike said that he's actually coming back out um, this summer. He's going to be fishing with you this summer. Yep. We're fishing together in August. Very so cool. uh, it'll be him and Brad Rue for Musk Innovations. Okay. I know usually the guys from Musk Innovations come out when they're on there because obviously the um, the pounders and all that stuff and throwing the bulldogs out there, but those are always a cool episode when you're, when you guys are on there. So that's one of my favorite episodes yeah, it's actually uh, the one episode where he caught like his biggest fish with you. That was, that's like one of my favorite episodes. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was, that was the, that's the, still to this day, the second heaviest fish I've ever had in my boat. Yeah. So it was, I think the it was best, an unbelievable I think, shoot. I think the best part is you guys are out there in like the total suck. Like it is cold. It's windy. I think it may, it may have been snowing. Like that's yeah dedication there. <laughs> oh, it was an, it was a crazy shoot. I mean, I mean, it started out with me. I caught a I caught what I I joke it's the most marginalized like thirty eight to thirty nine pound fifty incher in, in television history because um, that was the first fish we caught. It was the one he almost knocked off with the net, which is another mm-hmm. conversation. <laughs> but uh, oh, yeah, like it, that. That, that fish was, that fish was gigantic. But after after the one the keys got, no one even remembers that, that one took place. Right. <laughs> Uh, Spencer caught a 50. What? Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to comment that. All right. So let's get in, uh, let's get in the walleye. So, so you had said that the 25th of the when you generally start, have you started doing yeah. any like scouting or do you, do you do any pre-fishing, like getting ready for the 25th? Uh, we will, I will the week of probably, I'm trying to get out next week. I'm, I'm rigging a boat right now, trying to get it up and running, um, Hopefully by the end of this week, I'll have it maybe not done, but at least enough that I can go and do some sort of shakedown. I don't know how much I'll scout the river. I actually might go and, and try pulling some cranks for, for walleye either on either like Breast Bay on Erie or, or on St. Clair. They're getting them both places. Um, but, uh, but the week the week that I start, so I start on Saturday, I'll probably be out at least twice before that. I might, I don't know how much I'll actually jig, mostly just driving around looking, but I mean, the the way that the run normally works, I mean, your resident fish are going to show up in a couple spots. And, you know, when you've done it long enough, you kind of know where to look. So it's not doesn't require a ton of a ton of prep work to kind of know where I want to start. Yeah, that's kind of what I figured. Like, you've done this enough. Seems to be like a similar run every year. The fish do kind of the same thing every year. <laughs> so, yeah. And That's we cool. don't catch that. Yeah, I mean, water, water clarity is your big driving. Water clarity is your big driving factor on like how much the river is clean. Like if if, if it, obviously if there's only a little bit of clean water on the American side, then that's going to limit. That's going to change the spots. Versus if I can get all the way over to the Canadian side, which is the first area to get dirty, then that'll open up different spots. So that's kind of your bigger question: where east west river is that? Is there a, a mud line that has a lot more to do with spots than you know? than pretty much anything else when it comes to the early season stuff, because yeah. like, so there's only a few spots, fish, those fish tend to pile up. There's, there's more or less three spots in the North end that it seems like a lot of the residents end up. And then when those first fish start t- trickling in from Erie, there's a handful of transitional spots that I, 
are not squatting areas. They're more like highway areas that kind of like work like, you know, work like a, you know, kind of a highway for those fish coming in deep water spots that tend to get a lot of those fish that are transitioning into the river. Okay. Yeah. I saw a satellite image. Um, I think it was yesterday of kind of with all the snow melt from last weekend's snow, like it just looked like chocolate milk coming down that river right now. Oh, and it's, it's blowing, it's blowing like a lunatic today. So I'm sure it's garbage and oh, yeah. all sorts of, all sorts of muddiness and the American side, I'm sure it's blowing. It's got a lot of East in it today. So it's blowing East. So the only spot that normally is clean is the American when everything goes to heck in a handbasket. But with that East wind, that won't even be clear. So I'm sure there's, I'm sure it's disgusting now. I'm not, I'm, I'm just fine. Not starting tomorrow. Cause that would be absolutely disgusting tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and for the Yeah. Now, do you primarily fish the American side or do you fish the Canadian side? Uh, we probably spend more time on the Canadian side. Um, I go wherever. I, I fish the whole thing top to bottom. I mean, I'm one of the few guys that really truly does run the whole river. Um, so like, I'll start by by Erie um, and then we'll kind of work my way up. It just kind of depends. But as far as the, the Canadian or American side, the Canadian side does have a lot bigger fish in it. There's just no getting around it. Um, so we, we spend a lot more time there ever, ever since there, ever, ever since the power in, uh, in Trenton got, got toned way down and the warm water is not what it used to be in there. It seems like our American side, it doesn't have the same population of big fish. If you look at the tournaments and where they're won, I mean, they're on that side of the river. So the, the first couple of weeks of the season and for the mouth, pretty much the whole season, really, but especially the first couple of weeks, we're really trying to get trophy fish. That's when I tell my guys that want wall hangers to come. So, I mean, we're, we're looking for where the bigger fish are and nine times out of 10 or 99 times out of a hundred, it seems like right now, those are on the Canadian side. It's funny you say that because Bob and I, like we fished the Detroit River for a long time and our mainly it was with our dad and he was just like an advocate of Trenton Channel. But that was also mm-hmm. back in his day where they would catch, you know, eight pounders all the time. Like it was just, it would seem to be like a hot spot that Trenton Channel. Now it's just oh, yeah. snag fest down there. But we've been down there over the last five years, and I don't know if we've ever caught a fish in Trenton Channel. Not in Trenton, We've no. lost more jigs than anything. Usually but shoot um, So you had mentioned that they powered down that, the was that the Fermi plant right there? Is that Fermi? No. Yeah, the power plant there. The, well, Fermi's the, further no, south, it's not. but you have the candy canes there. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So they powered that down? So you So it's like less water? There, less there, warm water there's, there's, I don't know. I don't exactly know what they did. There's still some warm water coming out, but nothing like it used to. It's not, it's not the, the giant flow that used to be there. And, and it also like the water clarity's changed drastically in the river. That's been a huge, dif- a huge difference from what it used to be. I mean, it used to be also so much dirtier than it is now, a lot more clean water. And the American side tends to be colder and the Canadian side's got more color and it's warmer. And I mean, if you look at where those tournaments have been won the last few years, I can't tell you one of them that I think has been won in American water. It's always Canadian. So, and and also I keep my boat on the north end. So Trenton is a long way away to go and lose a lot of gym. So it's not as appealing to me. Well, well with that boat of yours, like it probably don't take that long to get down there though. <laughs> well, if I run it wide open, but I'd have to raise my rates if I did that all the time. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, the gal- that 400 is not. The 400s are awesome, but they are not friendly on fuel. Oh, I bet. I'm sure you know the answer to this question, um, but if you don't, excuse me. But how many gallons of gas do you burn a year when you're like guiding? How many gallons of gas do I burn a year? While you're guiding. 
Uh, in the boat last year, it was like 4,180, I think. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Damn. I wasn't going to guess that's four. Not, I was going to guess 1,000. That's not as – I mean, I'm saying that that's worse than I expected. I, th- I knew it was going to be high, but I would have never guessed over 4,000. I wow. guess yeah, when you was, fish, was, seven yeah. days a week. Yeah. Well, and we do so much. I mean, so the, the one the one thing that's unique about where I fish um, on St. Clair specifically, the river as well, but St. Clair more so, is that we're in a very weird scenario where as a guide, I do almost all of my traveling via boat on the water. So if you look at like Green Bay or Mille Lacs or other big systems, like those guides there, if they want to go fish the south end, they drive there with their boat on the trailer and then launch there. And they don't put the same miles on their boat. But because of the way the border lays out, I mean, and, and it's a pain in the butt to get around, not to mention the fact that there's there's legal issues with, with me working there. You'd have to get a whole different type of worm, work permit and sponsor, all that, blah, blah, blah. So, like, we do all of our travel, for the most part, via boat. So my boat normally does, because my hummingbirds track my mileage, my, my boat normally does right around 10,000 miles a year on the water. Whoa, yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. It is. That's yeah. that's a lot of that's a lot of wear and tear on that on that motor too. But you pretty much get a new boat every year, don't you? Or every two years? No, every I, I try to do it every year. Um, so in the last ten years, the only two years I haven't uh, the year I got married, I didn't. I just had too much going on in the off season, and then uh, last year with COVID, I did not. Which thank goodness that would have been a train wreck because you just couldn't get. Yeah. There's so many things you couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. But that's that's kind of gotten one. That's kind of crazy. So, um, I think last time you had said that you keep your boat at Sinbad, right? Or that that, somewhere somewhere in that area. So, like, do you you is that like your your home base, like for the entire year, like even St. Clair, or do you do you do it differently for St. Clair? Uh, No. So I keep my boat at Sinbad's Marine and Restaurant uh, during the spring just for the walleye run and then uh, for for the June bass fishing I do. And then when I quit doing walleye and bass, I pull the boat and then all of musky season from mid-June on, I'm on the trailer and we launch them. Gotcha. You just have to be too on the lake. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I imagine that it's got to be easier because the launches during the walleye run are a nightmare. <laughs> no, you it, honestly, from a guide standpoint, like it's a it's a non-starter. Like you you cannot launch in you know in the mornings at those ramps. Trying to find clients would be a nightmare. Not to mention the fact that you take you an hour plus to get your boat in and. You know, we're running. I mean, I'm running doubles most days or all, or all day trips. And I mean, I'm on the water. I'm normally gone, you know, at least 12 to 14 hours a day. You know, if you had to do, if you had to factor another hour and a half on each side, getting the boat in and out, you'd be, you'd be nearly suicidal. Yeah. What do you do to prepare for like the, uh, like the stamina it takes to be out there every day for 14 hours? Like, is there any certain things that you do any sort of like, uh, I don't know, like regiments or routines that you have. What do you bench in these days? Mountain Dew and Copenhagen. <laughs> yeah. Mountain Dew, Copenhagen. Yeah, I, 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 go to, I go to Costco and spend a ton of money on uppers, five-hour energy, yeah. monsters, all that kind of stuff. Um, but no, I mean for for basketball, I know. Um, for I mean, I, I grew up playing hockey, and I, I I do a lot of weightlifting in the in the winter and in the fall, um, which which is very helpful for the muskies, and it's actually really helped me because I was starting to have some some issues with my shoulder and some issues with my back from just, just too much repetitive motion when you're casting those big rubber baits. And I, I had some, I had some issues with my back. I was starting to like maybe debate back surgery at about 28, which would have been, which is a bad Jeez. idea. And, uh, 
and, and getting getting back really into the gym has really helped me out a lot with that. And and I really enjoy it. So that helps a lot. But when you're when you're talking about jigging a three quarter ounce jig, you know, on, on a feather light rod, that that doesn't really require the stamina <laughs> that, that we're that we need on the musky side. But, uh, but yeah, it definitely is not. It's not a career path that that you pick if you like sleep. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I always joke with uh, my dad when we're getting ready in the morning. Granted, we've got to wait in line for the boat launch, right? And I always say, you can always be too late, but you can't be too early. And in order to be early, you sacrifice sleep. I look at sleep as being optional. Um, because like you said, we know what the launch looks like. And if you're late, you're stuck. Oh yeah. And then with walleye, that's huge. But like I said, for me, it's nice. I, I pull in right to Sinbad's there. My boat's in the dock. Um, you know, you, you can't beat it. So, but, but like you said, sp- sleep is a premium when you're on the water, running doubles, cleaning fish, not to, and then on top of it all, I mean, I've got a couple other guys I'm running trips for trying to organize the trips, you know, sponsors like to hear from you more than once a year when you need something. So you got to try to work the business end a little bit too. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. So, I mean, not only are you fishing 12 hours a day, but you've got the other stuff to take care of on the, on the home front and the office stuff. Um, so yeah, like I said, sleep's a premium. Honestly, if I, if I get off the water early in between trips, I normally, I normally do it homeless style and just go in my truck, turn the, turn the heat up and pass out for 40 minutes or whatever. And it's amazing. When you're that tired, you can fall asleep in a truck like that. It's nothing. Oh, yeah. yeah, Man, there's nothing like a nap when you get off the water. Like after like a good six, seven hours on the water, you go hit the couch. And there's nothing like that nap. Like I, I don't nap. Like I've always been that person where like, I just never do, but damn it. You get me yep, off same. the water. I'm out. I'm out like a light, that wind beating you up. And yeah. No, that, that's oh, and the cold, the cold takes it out of you. I mean, yeah. I've, I spent a ton of time on the boat with doctors and we've talked about it before. Just the, the effect that that cold has on your body, that your body burns so many calories um, trying to stay warm, even with good gear. I mean, you're still just burning a lot of cash and your hands warm and all that stuff. Um, so I mean that it does, it sucks it out of you, you know, a lot quicker than it does in the warm water, Yeah. you know, warm, warm periods. So yeah, it's always, it's always a factor, always something to consider and it just kind of comes at a premium. You grab it whenever you can. Yep. All right. So let's get back to, so obviously the walleye runs going to be coming up. So what is it that makes the walleye fishing so great in the Detroit river in the spring. I know like, I, I, I know some of the basics, but maybe you can lay it out. Like, are these generally walleye coming from Erie up the river to spawn? Yeah. yeah so, I mean, the, the Detroit river walleye run is, uh, it's supposed to be the largest walleye migration in the world. Um, I don't think anything else matches it. I've always heard it, it, it called that. Um, I mean, it, those fish are coming up from Lake Erie. Lake Erie has the highest walleye population of any lake on the planet. Um, I mean, it's just the walleye mecca of this of the world. And, you know, you look at a, a place like Lake Erie, Lake Erie gets over 90% of its water coming from the Detroit River. So the inflow from the Detroit River is literally, you know, just exponentially bigger than anything else like Maumee or Sandusky or anything like that. It's just so much bigger and therefore draws more fish. And we have just millions of walleye that go up that river. I've, I've heard numbers all over the map from, you know, a million to 20 million. I don't know. I think, you know, like most things, it falls kind of in the middle. Um, but it's it's a it's a lot of fish that come up that river and and a lot of big fish, too. I mean, and the top end of Lake Erie is 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 moving up again, getting exciting again, um, which is cool to see. And 
And then the other really fun part about the river, uh, and other than just the numbers and the and the size potential, is that the river is all vertical jigging for the vast majority of anglers. So you get to catch these walleye with a rod in hand and not trolling, which is something that's fairly unique to this to this system in the sense that most places that have trophy walleye are trolling uh, are trolling bites. And this is not that. This is all vertical jigging bite for the first over two months of the year. And, uh, you know, it's rod in hand. You feel the bottom. You feel the strike. You, you, it's up to you to, to catch or miss that fish, feel that fish. And, you know, for, for those of us, like I said, I'm a, I like to musky cast. I mean, I, I like bass fishing. I, I, I want to have the rod in my hand. You know, I troll if I ha- absolutely have to. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a casting guy. And this is one of those few chances where you can catch a 10-plus pound walleye or catch limits of walleye and do it with a rod in your hand jigging. Yeah, <clears throat> there's, you know, I've I've always known walleye not necessarily to fight that hard, but there was one time where I caught a, it was like a eight or nine pounder on Trenton Channel, and I snagged it actually. Man, let me tell you, that thing was like, like hooking salmon. Honestly, <laughs> like I'm using like this little six six medium action rod, and that thing was just like just peeling out line. It took forever to get it in. We didn't keep it obviously, but I'm like, that's a big ass fish. Like for being a walleye, I'm like, man, that, that thing had some power, but. So, oh yeah. Um, so Jason, so he had mentioned like some of the numbers of the migration. Do you have any idea, like from your field, of like the amount of fish that might go up there? Do you have you ever heard of any of these numbers? Our so resident biologist, like you said, yeah. Um, so, like you said, Spencer, some of my time down in Ohio, that was there was a wide range of speculations for the estimate that migrate up the Detroit River. But you, I agree with what you said. The draw to that group of fish is the volume of water that is coming into Lake Erie. Um, Now, one of the interesting things that I have heard is if you look at the Detroit River, the Maumee River, the Sandusky River, and then the fourth location being those offshore reefs by Davis Bessie, those four individual spawning locations, based on some work that tries to estimate the amount of production from those four locations, the primary producer to the year class strength comes off of the reefs at Davis Bessie. But the fraction it's when we say, Oh, there's a fraction of the population that moves up the Detroit river. The fraction of a hundred million is a lot. (laughs) There's a lot, you know, there's a lot of fish that go up that river and it is I believe Lake Erie and those locations around there are home to the best walleye fishing on the planet, like you said, in terms of numbers. And you take a fraction of that population. Well, a fraction of a lot is a lot of 10-pounders. So it is it is pretty remarkable. Um, one of the things that, to, to be honest, surprised me is to hear in your experience that you are confident, hey, I can go in the Detroit River at the end of March and I can start – getting some of those resident fish, and then we'll start to get the the initial trickle of the migration from Lake Erie. In my experience, um, working as a first mate and stuff down there, uh, you know, those captains that I was around focused primarily on the, the reefs by Davis Bessie and then over in Maumee Bay. And that's a jig bite, right? They're drifting, throwing hair jigs. But really, it doesn't start down there, in my experience, until uh, – you know, into April, Captain Paul used to joke around and say, based on the weather, I can book 30 trips in April April and fish 12 times, or I can book 12 trips in April and fish 12 times just because of the weather. Um, 
so like I said, I would not have expected you to say, you know, end of March, I can get in there. I know the area. I can, I know where those fish are and I can start catching them because in my experience, it's always been into April. I think of the jig bite and I probably have missed a few weeks of good fishing. Yeah. I mean, uh, it just depends. I, I, we're myself and captain Jason Quintano, like we're normally the first two guys in the river. Um, there's always some, you know, some weekend guys, but like most of the guides show up around April 1st, we normally get about a weekend, but I mean, last year we were, you know, we, we, the first day I fished, it was, we had dirty water. So I think we only caught like eight or nine, but, uh, I mean, after that, after that water cleared up, I think on day two or three, you know, we were pulling limits most of the time. And, but I, I think a lot of those are resident fish though. Like we were, we were mostly beating up on resident fish initially which 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 is fine um but you know then you need those fish to start trickling in from the lake last year was strange because you know we i don't know if you remember but last year we had some really crazy cold stuff the, yeah. the end of uh end of March, a couple of days of april we actually froze we almost froze back up my marina froze back up i was breaking ice to get back out for a while so that actually was interesting because we beat up on the low on the resident fish there were the fish that pulled in last fall and then no new fish were coming in because our river was actually cooling rather than warming. And that was actually the toughest fishing we had was not the March stuff. It was the first week in April. Uh, and we saw like the NWT tournament was here. And I mean, they just, they did horrible. And I remember, I mean, I talked to Boyer and Springle and some of those guys, you know, um, I, I had lunch with them a bunch of times. I tried to help them all out, all, all my buddies that fish the trail. And uh, I remember when we were driving in, I was talking to Hoyer and his partner, and uh, I told him, I said, guys, I said, I said, they're really not here. And they kind of like, you know, I, a little bit of him that hot. And I've known John forever. And uh, I said, no, it's not that it's dirty. I said, they're literally not here. And what it was is that we'd picked off so many of the residents, the guys that were fishing, and the Lake Erie fish just weren't in yet. Um, because they just, they, you know, that water going from 38 degrees on the 25th when I started down to about 33, it was going the wrong direction. Those fish were just staging and not coming in. And that's why you saw such a terrible catch rate in that tournament, um, you know, when the, when the NWT was here. But then ironically, that weather broke on like Tuesday. And by the time the next, the, the following weekend, we had the Michigan Walleye Trail event here and they pummeled them. I mean, pummeled them. I mean, it's just amazing how you can flip that switch. Yeah, I remember that NWT, <clears throat> I think like majority of boats didn't even have a limit. Am I right with that? I, thought I think six. I, I don't, I'm rough number, but like 60 to 70 boats out of like 110 or 120 did not catch a fish on day one, got skunked. That's not the, one walleye. That's and insane. only two guys, yeah, only two, you know, boats, which is angler, co-angler. So it's two man teams, essentially. They pair you up, but two man teams, only two boats had a limit on day one, which is five fish total, not an actual you know, legal limit of 12, but five fish total. And both of them had, both the guys that got limits were both fish in small fish areas and like, you know, weighed six pounds on five fish kind of thing. Yeah. Isn't going to get you a large tournament. But they need, but they, they're also to consider. So there's other, there's other factors towards team of the year and championship. So yeah. I wonder if those walleye were uh, eating lead weights too. So <laughs> <laughs> too soon, bro. Too uh, soon. Too soon. I, I too soon. <laughs> I had to. Come on. Come on. Uh, so what do you I think the NWT does a little more intense of a of a uh, polygraph. And I think they all will do a more intense polygraph after that. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, that uh, that's gonna be a straight up interrogation. Oh yeah. I'm just gonna What did you do to these fish? <laughs> They're gonna waterboard everybody. <laughs> so, I wonder what those questions look like. You know? Have you cheated? 
are you cheating? Like, is that just as blatant as that? I mean, did you put weights in these fish? That's such a shame. Did you? That's funny. Are you an idiot? No. (laughs) (laughs) So, Spencer, what do you think is the biggest factor for that that time? Is it the temperature? Is it the, that date you're looking for when it turns on? Is it the water temperature? You had mentioned, uh, like, the yeah. daylight, but. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think that there's different groups of fish in Lake Erie that, tri- that trigger to come up the river for different reasons. They don't all come at the same time. I think, I, and as I've said before, there's resident fish in there, you know, year-round. Um, and there's fish that pulled in last fall that did not get caught that are still around. I think a lot of those are, are there as well. Um so I, I think that the major factor is your water temperature. You really need it to flirt with 40. That's what brings the biggest group of fish in. However, your daylight, your moon phase, and just the seasonal, like, I mean, they have a little internal clock, and there are plenty of Lake Erie fish that start trickling in the last couple of days of March, regardless of the weather, really. And that's why, like I said, we did very we did well the first couple of days I guided last year, and it seems like that's kind of – you know, that, that 25th, 26th of March is really a good starting point because there's always some fish coming in. But I, I do think there's different there's different groups of fish that come up for different reasons. But the biggest one is temperature. Really, it's got to flirt with 40. We're, we have a weird fishery. They don't come in under the ice like they do in Green Bay. It's really got to get, you know, the ice has got to be gone, and then the water temperature has got to warm up. That's what brings the biggest numbers. Yeah. I wonder what it's going to be like this year with, uh, I mean, we, we just didn't have any ice down here. I mean, I don't know that that river didn't really freeze over much this year, if anything. There was ice flows through it at times, but no, it really wasn't. But I mean, the last reports I heard from a, I know I had a buddy out there the other day. He said it was 34 degrees. So, I mean, it, it's, it, it's right where it's supposed to be. Yeah. 30, 30, 34, 35. And they picked up a couple of residents, um, just fishing some low, you know, some, some resident spots, fishing small ones. Um, but I mean, this, we got some colder weather coming here too. That's you're supposed to have some lows in the twenties and some highs in the low thirties. I think I saw like high of thirty one on Friday and like a low of twenty two or something like that. Yeah, like so, five, I mean, five more inches of snow coming too. I guess I heard. Yeah. So it's Michigan, pure yeah. Michigan, man. <laughs> oh yeah, well, it, it's better all the ice. I'd rather just have snow. We just keep in all these stinking ice storms. I'm getting sick of that. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> hey, at least we got power, right? We can we can do this. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Now yeah, um, we went a while without. Yeah. Now, uh, have you ever fished the river, I guess, speaking of the river specifically, like in the summer or in the fall? Because we've got a um, a friend of ours who she fishes it religiously in the fall because most guys mm-hmm. are out in the woods and she'll go out there in the fall and clean up. And I would have never thought that fall would be a good bite out there. But have you ever heard of that or have you ever done it? Oh, absolutely. No, they, I mean, they, they spent a ton of time out there in the fall. I got a bunch of buddies that guided the guide it in the fall as well. I mean, it's, it's not the run that you have in the spring, but you definitely get a fall run of fish up that river. Um, and they do, they do phenomenal in October specifically and a little bit into November. Um, I fished the river in the fall for muskies, Yeah. but once, once I switched to muskies, that that's it for me. But, uh, I mean, I did a bunch of days in the late fall, um, for in the mid fall last year doing muskies where, you know, I, I'm in, I'm in a pa- one mile pack of 70 boats and I'm the only guy that's, that's throwing, that's throwing musky stuff. And I'm with 69 walleye guys. I mean, that's, I mean, there, there is plenty of fish in there and there's plenty of fishermen and you know, it's, it's, it, it's good. You don't get the same numbers of big fish that you get in the spring. It seems like it's definitely more males and, you know, you get some, some nice ones, but you don't see the true hogs in the fall like you do in the spring but 
I mean, there's there's some good fishing to be had for sure, especially with the population this high. Yeah. Now, um, just quickly speaking to, to that muskie in the fall, like, are you jigging or are you throwing like pounders and stuff in the river? No, I'm pretty much all all casting. I I think we caught maybe four or five last year jigging. I'll if it's if you get like bright calm conditions, the fish aren't relating to the breaks and they're really down deep, then then I'll normally do a, a jigging pass or two. But I'm I'm in the river. I'm probably 90, 90 10 or ninety five five um, to to the casting side. But it just depends on what my electronics are doing. Yeah. So. But now it's easy to get the big rubber down deep with all the weights and stuff. So yeah. like I can run them down foot real easily, which I never used to be able to do that. Yeah. Well, yeah, with those pounders. I mean, man, those, <laughs> those, those what do you work those 15, 20 feet down? <laughs> it doesn't take long. Well, a pounder with no weight. Yeah. A pounder with no extra weight. You're probably going to get about 10 to 12 on a pro pounder. But if you put an ounce and a half heavy head on it, I mean, you'll, you'll gain, you'll go from 12, you know, 10 to 12 to, to 15 to 16. If you throw a top weight on it, another ounce to it on the top, you'll be down at 20. I mean, which the way that the Detroit River lays out, you don't need to fish any deeper than that. It's not is not as deep as the St. Clair River, so yeah. you know that pretty much covers covers anything along the break line you'd want to cover. Yeah. Nice. All right. So here's the main question I want to get to. So you you fish out there every day once the 25th starts up, right? How do you deal yep. with all the river googans? <laughs> the river googans. We, we, we call them googans, uh, and and googans are the. Are, are the I guess the uh, the a hole fishermen who have no etiquette, um, you know the the guys who can't back up their trailer, like the guys who shouldn't be out there. That's what we call. Oh whoa 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 whoa! I can barely back up my trailer, and I don't well, consider myself a, a googan. And you're a terrible googan. Come on. <laughs> no, like how do you like how do you get through, like how do you manage that dealing with all those boats where you can damn near walk across the water? Or, I'm sorry, do- you can walk across well, so- the water on boats. On both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not Jesus. Not like um, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> the Jesus but, of walleye fishing. So, so, <laughs> I, uh, I mean, I'm lucky I don't have to deal with the ramps because that, that might drive me nuts. I, I, I normally lose my cool at the ramp more than once throughout the season, but luck. And I, and if I, and that's during, that's during the summertime. Um, just, just, I mean, you're always so geeked to get on the water and you want to get there for, for the light, you know, first light or whatever. And it just sucks when you have one or two people that hold the whole thing up. But, like I said, I keep my boat in the dock. Thank goodness. I don't have to deal with that. So that's at least good for me. Uh, as far as on the river itself goes, the one nice thing about Detroit that is fairly unique to that river walleye fishing is that it's so much bigger than your average system. I mean, it's so even even other Great Lakes systems like the Fox. I mean, it's just it's so much bigger. There's so much more many more spots. Um, there's so many more areas to hit. And there's also a lot of areas that a lot of people don't know about. There, the, there's nothing, no true secrets. I, I'd like, I'd like to say I have, you know, my own secret honey holes, but I mean, they're just lesser known spots. Really, is what yeah. it truly is. To be fair, yeah, um, yeah we don't want to give. Up, also, we don't I want think, you to give up all your secrets. <laughs> no, I'm not we, giving away points, but no, I, I, I don't have a lot of. I mean, the spots that you see nobody on ever, it's because there's way too many snags, and you couldn't move a jig ten feet without getting something. That's yeah. why there's nobody that tried there. That's the um, Trenton Channel. And there's a lot. Of, <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a lot of spots that are worse than Trenton Channel because Trenton Channel oh, is really? small rocks and things. It only goes up up and down a foot. Like you notice your jig finds bottom every 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 spot in different areas. You get some spots in the, on the river where you're talking crevices that are like four or five feet deep. Those jigs never come out of those. I don't care how fast you are. 
So that's that's a different world. But no, I mean it, it is it is it does stink because there is some etiquette on the river. I mean the big thing that myself and anybody else would tell you is just when you're when you're on the river, just go with the controlled chaos, what we call, it, which is go with the current, drift with the current, um, and, and like you know don't anchor, don't try to cast. Don't do anything stupid like that. Just everybody drifts with the current together. That's the big thing. So the other thing that I wish everybody would learn is the glass boats drift faster than aluminum. It's not rocket science. They're heavier, so they catch more current. So when an alumacraft pulls up right down river of me, I'm going to be on top of you in 10 seconds because I go faster than you. So don't do it. Go the other side. And if you're a glass boat, make sure you give yourself a little bit of room down current if there's a bunch of lo- uh, tinners around, you know, stuff like that. But That's probably the most but, annoying I mean, thing. It, when all, either, it all works. Either one, you get the boat, the guy who's driving up on plane, and he'll go 15 feet from your boat instead of, like, at least giving you some some courtesy. That's just at, at any lake. Well, yeah, that's at any lake, but it's Jeez. it's worse on the river. Oh, we've seen some funny shit on the river. But, but then it's the guy who pulls up. Like, he's got all this room in the world, and he pulls up 10 feet from your boat. And it's like, come on, bro. <laughs> I, I've been I've been able to like high five rods with dudes, you know, like hey, oh yeah, <laughs> high five, bro. Okay, you you can definitely get that on a weekend for sure. Yeah, they got to get that so spot. They got to hit home. that same Sorry. track line. Oh yeah, the worst is like especially if you're catching fish and you're dying. You know, like we're we're lucky enough to normally do better than than the average guy. So like when you start catching fish, they just everybody around starts getting closer and closer and closer, mm-hmm. and it just. Before you know it, it's just like, dude, come on, man! Yeah. Like that, that guy knows know, the spot. <laughs> that, yeah, that's that's when my clients just ask if they want to chip in for the guide trip. So, is there any? Uh, I'd like to hear. You're going to be oh, on sorry, the trip. Jimmy, you might as pay for it. <laughs> go, go ahead, ahead Jimmy. Go ahead, Jason. Okay. Um, Can I go? <laughs> I'd like to hear. <laughs> I'd like to hear, Spencer. I want to. Um, explain a situation or scenario and then get your perspective on it. So my feeling is I'm in a pack, I'm drifting downstream. When I'm at the end of my drift, I'm going to pull, you know, perpendicular to the pack, get out and around them. Now here's where I feel like there might be two different trains of thought. I like to get outside of the pack, get her on plane and get up to the top and, you know, then motor down and get back in. I feel like the other train of thought is, why are you going by us at hundred miles an hour? You need to go slow and idle. And my feeling or my reasoning behind getting up on plane is it's, I've got a tin boat, right? An 18 foot aluminum boat. It will throw less wake on plane than it will. If I'm plowing through the water at five miles an hour, your thoughts. Yeah. So that is a very, uh, that that's definitely a debated topic. Um, you are so no matter what no matter what your boat is, you're always going to throw less of a wake on plane going fast than you are at a fast idle. I mean, if you you could do it at at three miles an hour, but you have to be a lot more patient than I am. And and every, every minute you're out there, I mean, there's you know the sun's coming up or whatever. There's always a sense of urgency. So to me, and I think most guides would agree with this. Like I, I do what you do. I I go out far enough to be respectful even though it doesn't make a darn bit of difference because that same exact wave comes in but you're at least looking like you did it better and then i and i let it rip because i'm going to the top so no i i uh, first of all from a logistical standpoint 
if you start doing the putts up, I mean, most of your drifts, are, most of your drifts are, are a mile. Okay. So if you're doing that three mile, you know, three, four miles an hour, you're going to have 15, 20 minutes every time that you're going to, you know, to get back up. I mean, not only are you wasting a ton of time fishing, heck, I would put another 250 hours on my outboard doing that. I mean, you're talking $10,000 in depreciation right there. Mm. I mean, that's craziness. So no, I, I'm getting up and going. The only time I don't do that is if, if we lost a bunch of jigs and I have to retie, then I normally put a client in charge and I start tying jigs as fast as I can you know, as we idle back up. And I hope that my client doesn't run anybody over. I want to drive Spencer's boat, right? <laughs> me oh, too. Trust me, I've had a couple times where I've had guys yelling at me and I wasn't, cause I just have my head down trying to tie as fast as I can. And my, I did, I should have not trusted someone to drive three miles an hour. What do I do? <laughs> I don't know what to do. What do I do with my hands? I'm new. It's like, it's like if I were to man the helm. Yeah. If you, don't let Jimmy ever drive your boat. Let me just say that. So I, you know, with, with my boat, I have a, my, mine's a fiberglass boat. It's an 18 foot bass tracker. And I, I feel like I put out a pretty heavy wake. And is that just because like, I'm heavy? It's heavy. Yeah. Okay. And like, no, I'm no, heavier, no, like my boat's heavier. Like boat. I'm adding some weight to my boat. Like I'm, I'm saying like, I'm feeling like my boat puts out a tremendous amount of wake. Even when I'm up on plane, like that video Go that faster. I sent you guys the other day, I can't. I mean, I can only go, my, my boat only goes like 38, go so 39 fast. miles I can't now. give it anymore, sir. Yeah. And, um, you know, I guess I've never had it on a lake big enough to where I've really been able to, like, tune up that, um, the trim. You know, like, yeah. like I fish at Long Lake, and by the time I'm up on trim or I'm up on plane, and then I pretty much oh, have yeah. to back her down and start making that lake's not big enough. You know, no. Yeah. So... Um, I know it's like with my right. boat because my boat's got pretty deep V in it. Like once I get up on plane, as soon as I trim it up, it's like the whole boat lifts out of the water, and there's like no weight coming off that yeah. thing. Mine pushes. Well, I'm sure Spencer's bit. got some input on this though, and that's kind of what I, I, I was he thinking. Drives, you know, four thousand gallons worth of gas. Yeah. <laughs> well, my my boat puts up a huge weight because my. I mean, I'm probably one of the heaviest boats on the river, so I mean, it's it's weight. This is all weight driven for the most part. Um, so I mean, I put up a big wake, but. At the end of the day, in my opinion, I, I don't mean to be cruel, um, but you're if you're on the Detroit River, you are fishing a Great Lakes waterway, one of the biggest rivers in the country with incredible current, with the ability to throw up. I mean, when we had the windstorm a couple of years ago, they had 14, 15 footers on the river that day. Unbelievable pictures of the uh, of the mailboat going out in just some insane squalls. I mean, it's. It's it's a big body of water. You can't go out there in a in a John boat in a sputtering you know duck boat. And not to mention that no matter what we do, um, I mean the Windsor Police boat loves to go by us at like ten miles an hour and throw literally a five foot wake. I've had them swamp my Ranger six twenty two more times than I can count. And then you have the freighters to deal with that put up a huge wake no matter what. So if I mean if you are uncomfortable with the weight coming off a twenty foot fishing boat you probably shouldn't be out there or you need to reassess what you're out there in. Yep. And, and, and although it sounds cruel, I mean, there is a lot of people out there and some weird stuff. Like we always joke that sometimes it's, you you swear that like a cruise ship sunk and this is what people are using for, for, for makeshift life rafts out there. <laughs> you look over, you're like, is, is that a door or is that a boat? Like, 
Like, what is that? Oh man, I've, <laughs> I've seen it <laughs> in the summertime. We see those people that are on like the you know like the the floating bar thing where they're pedaling. Oh yeah, and then, <laughs> you know what I'm the saying? Tiki, the tiki like, bar thing. So, yeah, we went out there musky. <laughs> we went out there musky jigging. We were uh, yeah, on the north end of the river on the Canadian side, and we came back across. We had a north wind. And it was howling, and like we had some chop, man. Like, and there's, you know, probably three, four freighters that came through there that day, and it was like, it was insane. Like, there was a couple spots where I'm like, you know, hey, put your life jacket on, bro. <laughs> like, this is getting rough. And uh, and then I see all these, I see these, you know, like these soccer moms just just going to town <laughs> on some margaritas. And I'm like, what in the hell is going on right now? I feel like yeah. I'm in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, they, they keep at Riverside Marina there. They were at Sinbad's for years. They have like, I don't even know how many of them they have now. They have like seven or eight of them things. They got a bunch of them up in the shores and grew up too. It looked like a damn good time. I'll, I'll give it that. But uh, at the same time, like the 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 river was rough that day. Yeah. If, She's if a mean. We watched them build them. We, we watched them build them in the parking lot of Sinbad's. I mean, if you watched him build them, you'd never get on one. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> they didn't look safe. At I all didn't. To me. <laughs> I, I, I'm watching it. I'm like, how do they have that many people on this boat? Like it just, it looks like it's going to sink or tip over. It's like, like the Real Housewives of Detroit out there, just, <laughs> just, just, just getting down. I wouldn't want to be their insurance provider. No, no, <laughs> they weren't going that far from like it was. It was a no, Sinbad area, but yeah. yeah. Jimmy, you had a question. Oh, they don't. Kind of circle around there. Yeah. Yes. So uh, Bob kind of had mentioned that he's seen some craziness on the water. Um, you know, being that you're on the water like a lot more than any of us. What is there anything like? Is there anything crazy that you've seen out there? And like, what what's the craziest thing you've seen while on the water? Oh boy. Ah, uh, let's see here. Um, I, guess- I mean, obviously the. The, the less exciting response would be like, like he just was talking about when you, when you have a wind versus current scenario, I I've seen some just mind blowing waves and, and, and conditions, especially like, because the North half of the river is all seawalls and, and it's all concrete and steel that goes down to 15 to 18 foot or more on either side. So there's no ability for those waves to ever crash. And, uh, and they just, they just get rolling. It, it, it's crazy to think that you're in a river at that point because the waves can just get so outrageous. But as, as far as overall shenanigans go, um, trying to think of a specific. I mean, I've seen boats hit each other. Um, we had a bad. I think bad one like two years ago. We had uh, two boats collide in the dark. Um, you know, some stuff like that. That's just people <clears throat> being stupid. Um, uh, I mean, that's that's probably it. I mean, you. It, it's just you you kind of just expect a certain base level of shenanigans whenever you're on the river something about like i said the walleye in a condensed area just kind of brings out the the worst in people so to speak and and brings out some 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 people that don't normally fish in other applications that decide they want to fish in that application um aka googans googans exactly the shore fishing the shore fishing is probably that was probably some of the better stuff. Is some of the some of the incidents with the shore fishermen. I've had I've had a lot of run-ins with them, especially during COVID, um, when when we were fishing tight to the American side that got got fairly heated. Um, that was that was always interesting. Yeah, it's a lot of a lot of debate about whether 
you know, how close is too close when you're in a boat? Yeah. Um, you know, you got a boat, you can go wherever you want, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, and then, then the boat, the guys in the boat always turn around with the same response. It's like, well, you know, it's a work day at nine o'clock, get a freaking job and then you can go buy a darn boat. <laughs> Great reply. I love and it. Before you know it, there's, sink, there's sinkers flying. and Oh, Jesus. <laughs> you have to, like, yeah, I mean, we don't want to church that part of it up. To, like, there's not that many instances of, like, craziness, but you have to kind of be on guard. Like, you, you're yeah. watching. If you're motoring up or down the river or even while you're fishing, like, you have to be aware of what's happening with other boaters around you all the time it's like that on st Clair too like you've got to be aware of what some of these people are doing some people aren't paying attention or they're they're pretty novice boaters and things like that or fishermen so you got to like really kind of be on it you know you can't like it's not really a it's not a, a super relaxing way of fishing it's like get in there hit your drift pay attention during your drift get back out, get back in it. It's it's really a grind and it's really kind of a tough way to fish. Like some people think, and, and I mean, Spencer kind of alluded to, you know, you know, popping a three quarter ounce jig and stuff like that, but you're, you're battling waves, you're battling Googans and boaters and, and a lot of other things. And, and further like that, at least the captain of the boat, I know this cause I've, I've run the Detroit river a few times and, it's like I I'm I'm like stressed out, man. Because I'm like I'm trying to make sure that like we're not hitting anybody. Nobody's gonna hit us. Well, it, it, it can be it can be kind of a pain, especially around Wyandotte. I, I'll give I'll give Wyandotte when, that. When you're in like peak season but, and it's like nothing but boats, yeah, yeah. Uh, beginning of April, it's it's really kind of a it, it can be a nightmare. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm I would like to go. You know to to charter. Spencer to show me uh show me how to get away from those guys and show me show me some places I mean because generally speaking we don't necessarily know like all the spots of the river we go down there a couple times a year and that's really about it so we're we're kind of following the pack you know because they're that's where they're catching fish you know in most cases right like that's the easy way to do it you know like our, our electronics are not like super crazy good but I mean they're they're enough but we don't necessarily we don't do it that way all the time. So it's like, when we go out to do it, like, hey, where are they catching fish? Well, let's go there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so we, we, it's, we it's have, a little bit of a battle we that way. We haven't enough to learn it, which yeah. we're going to do it this year. But we get too wrapped up in pike and muskie fishing. So. We, do. we do. So, Spencer, um, when, last time we talked, and we talked muskie, you said that you look for the wind when you're, like, when you're go- getting ready to go out muskie fishing. So we were just talking about, like, the wind on the river. Do you look for the same thing for walleye, or is it different? Are you looking for calmer water for for walleye? No, you're definitely. I mean, your your big driving force is water color. You're looking for the right water color. Um, you know, you're looking. You don't want it to be gin clear, but you can't have it be super muddy. Anything less than two foot of water, you're normally you normally screwed. Um, so you're looking for that mid range water color. But the wind, I mean, obviously, like he was alluding to a minute ago. Um, you know, when you're running the boat, it's 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 a whole thing. I mean, the river is, is so much more, you know, on than, than any other boat control that I have to do. You can't be off it for a minute. I mean, it's, it is just, you have to constantly be left, right, constantly never ending trying to keep that boat vertical to offset that wind. Um, you know, like when I musky fish, if we're drifting in the lake, I mean, I, I, it's no big deal for me to, to pop an email quick or do something, you know, that takes a minute or retie, sit down and retie a line. Like you can't do that when you're on the river running the boat. You have to be on it nonstop. So if I can avoid the the wind, then by all means I will if I can get on fish. 
but uh, because it doesn't necessarily turn them on like it would a muskie. But I mean, a lot of times it's the case. And and to going back to what you just said, normally if there's a wind beyond eight to ten miles an hour, every schmuck is hide is in all the hidden spots (laughs) that are protected. So I normally just I just rule those out because not only is there too many boats, but I know that all the boats there are idiots and they're gonna make me angry. So I'd rather just go to go to somewhere else and use use my lithium batteries and just you know just put my head down, focus on keeping us vertical, and then at least we have it to ourselves. And the people that pull up in those areas at least know what they're doing because they can they're 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 taking the wind on. <laughs> yeah. What trolling motor do you run? You may, have, we spend... you may have answered this. Uh well, it depends on the day. I, I own five. Um I have four Tarovas and, and an Altera. Okay. So um I mean all Minn Kota, but um yeah, pretty much pretty much just a Tarova. I'll use an Altera occasionally, but Last year, my Altera and I had had some some serious differences and opinions on when when it should be used. So, <laughs> so, um, it, it, so we, is there a I'm reason you have multiple ones? Do they do you... because I go through them? Okay, <laughs> I didn't know if like one had an application or something that I was trying to. No, I'm no, trying they, to think in my head like, why the hell does he need five of these? But <laughs> yeah, without uh, yeah, I don't want to. No, no. So yeah, they they're 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 a piece of equipment that when you use them as much as I do, especially oh, yeah. with those with the high intensity applications, you definitely oh, yeah. are gonna go. You're gonna you're gonna need some service work. Yeah. So Jason, I, you're, 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 you're probably gonna ask the question I'm gonna ask. So go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, I just wanted to spend one second. Maybe it'll be more than one second. One minute to identify what we mean when we talk about vertical jigging, because I believe being close is not good enough. Like you said, Spencer, you need to be on that motor constantly and you need your line to be vertical. So if you just want to outline that for a minute for maybe folks that are not as well-versed in Detroit river walleye jigging. Yeah. So the unique thing about Detroit river is you have, you have massive current going down through there. So we're using heavier jigs than you're used to. And it's all about trying to stay, keep the boat vertical. You want to be perfectly on top of your jigs if you have no wind at all, you have a perfectly flat day, the boat and the jig normally go very close to the same speed. So you actually can get away fairly easy in that scenario. Obviously, there's very few days that you have no wind. Most days, you, if you have any sort of wind, what your job then becomes with the trolling motor is to offset the wind to keep you on top of your jigs. And the big thing is, like, like one, of, one of the biggest things that the guys don't realize um, is when, when they see professionals out there, it, it's not necessarily that we, you know, that like the, the line that I'm running is 10 feet to the good versus where the line that you're on, but staying vertical is so important. It helps you so much to keep contact with your jig and to feel those light strikes and to be quick on that reaction. As soon as those fish eat that jig, they spit them out as fast as they can. That, that, that one ounce lead jig doesn't feel very natural. So as soon as they grab it, you need to be on them. Um, so staying vertical is super critical. So what you're doing essentially is using the trolling motor to to offset the wind and keep your boat straight up and down on that line. So you want all the lines in the water to be straight up and down. However, like as soon as you get off, it's amazing. Those you'll, you'll see those lines. Like if you're netting a fish or I'm off the motor, all of a sudden, if it's windy, you'll see all those lines start to, to angle five degrees, 10 degrees, 15 degrees, and then no one can feel bottom. And you're just you're 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 not able to stick keep in contact with your bait, and it makes all the difference in the world. Very good explanation. Yeah, Jason, that was exactly what I was going to ask. Was 
Oh, it was inflating, <laughs> saying vertical. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we've obviously we've known just from I guess from doing it. I didn't really understand the reasoning why until you kind of laid that out and staying right on top of the bait. And um, but I'm I'm sure people listening probably were like, "What? Say what? <laughs> Say what now?" So. So Spencer, what are you looking for when you go out? Like, are you looking at your your electronics? Are you looking for bait fish? Are you looking for uh, a contour? Like, what? I guess what are you looking for when you're going out? You're taking a client out. You're deciding a spot. Like, what what are you looking for when you're trying to figure out where those walleye are at? Obviously, they're generally on the bottom, uh, but yeah, they're on the bottom, obviously. But no, your bait fish are basically irrelevant. I mean, these fish are there to spawn. You, I mean, if you when you go through and start cleaning fish, you'll realize that they you know, almost all their bellies are pretty much empty until later in the run. Um, they're just that's not the driving force for them. If there's stuff there, they'll eat it. That's why they're eating jigs. But they're not there because of bait. In fact, like normally, once we get like about two weeks in the run, the whole all the marinas will load up with shiners and stuff. But they're in one walleye and they're chasing them. That's just not what they're doing. Um, so what we're looking for though is we're looking for spawning areas. We're looking for areas outside of spawning areas, or we're looking for areas that those fish are transitioning through on their way up river or down river for that matter. Um, so normally flat areas that aren't super snaggy that have, that have the, you know, that have bottom content, the walleyes will use mostly, you know, mostly that hard bottom stuff, um, which the river is almost exclusively anyway. Um, and then I'm also looking at my electronics. That's the biggest thing is looking at your electronics trying to figure out where those fish are. Um, you know, I'll, I'll normally hit shallower stuff in the morning, work my way deeper as the sun comes up. But, you know, running side imaging helps a lot, especially if the wind's going right. You can go parallel to the break because then you can look at you can look both ways. You know, I use I'll use my my live imaging as well and spin the spin the head around and try to see if I see more fish in 30 foot or more fish in 12 foot and try to you know let that determine the line. Um, and then also I'd be lying if I say, you know, you didn't you didn't look for nets, too. I mean. You'll watch it a lot of times with walleye. I mean, you'll you'll start seeing nets fly deeper. You'll see nets fly shallower, and I mean that's a tell. I mean, as a guide, I I used to be pretty good at noticing nets for people, and then when I started guiding the river, you know, over ten years ago, that that's like getting a doctorate. And now now it's like you know you can't hide a net from me. <laughs> Since I don't catch big walleye, I just boat flip them over the side, and you don't see the net move. There you I'll go. see those two. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a Hawkeye, man. He sees it. Uh, you, just, you, you get used to looking. You get used yeah. to looking, you know. So you'd mentioned um, that all the bait shops load up on shiners down there. And that's all we used to use religiously was minnows. And it was a great big pain in the ass because they pop off every five seconds. But the more and more, like I talk to people who fish for walleyes, they don't use live bait. They, they're just using um, a jig with either like a Wyandotte worm or something else. So like... What's your experience with, do you use any live bait or are you just strictly artificial? No. So, and when I, when I said the marinas load up with, with, with the shot, with the Emerald shiners, I was referring to like the actual physical marinas in the water. Oh, like gotcha, those, gotcha. Those shiners push in when that water temperature gets into the mid forties, they push in there in, in just crazy big numbers. But um, for me, when the water temperature is below 45 degrees, I tip all my jigs with a minnow. So I, I, I get minnows every, basically, you know, every day I'm using minnows for the first three to four weeks. Um, I definitely think it makes a difference in the cold water. Um, if you're fishing for males, you're fishing for jacks, you know, just eaters, uh, it definitely makes less of a difference. Some days it'll make a bigger difference. Some days it won't. Normally if the bite's slower, it helps. 
Um, but if you're fishing for big fish early season, I think I think it always helps. Like you, when you look at the tournament guys, they're always running, always running, uh, you know, bait. So what all you're doing is you're running the, the jig with the plastic, a stinger hook, and a minnow on top. Okay. Are you generally using like a wind out worm or using like a, a shad based uh like I'm normally using yeah, like a longer city, like a finesse minnow normally. Gotcha. But I, well I use some I use more finesse than I did. The four inch finesse is more than anything. Okay. Um, and we actually, we were talking to, um, the, the company fishing complete that we've kind of partnered up with and they, um, they actually were just talking to, um, John Bondi. Um, and he was saying mm-hmm. that kind of gave some of his tricks away. So I'm going to let everybody know him, but he said that he's doing really well, like throwing deep cranks along the brake line. Have you ever heard of that? Like while he's going down the river, like he'll have guys jigging, but then he'll be, he'll have somebody or, or himself will be casting like deep diving cranks right along the like the the maybe the oh, yeah, drop off. Yep. Yeah, no, I've I've seen guys do. I've seen John doing it. Um, I've seen John out there quite a few days doing it. I mean, I it's not nearly as consistent. It, it ain't gonna win any tournaments for you. Yeah. Um, but but it it definitely can. I mean, you can definitely get them doing other things. I mean, there's you know like when when the match fishing guys came last last year two years ago. Um, you know, I mean they're they they call a lot of fish casting like especially grubs and things. So there, there's more ways to do it um, than one, but uh, for for us, it just the vertical jigging is definitely probably the most consistent. It's the most productive, in my opinion. Um, it definitely works the best from a guiding standpoint because you got multiple guys in the boat. Um, I mean, if you've got two guys and you're you're okay throwing crankbaits, there's not a million. You can only do it when there's not a million boats around. You can't do it when there's boats everywhere. One person casts in a group of boats, you're going to have a lot of angry fishermen. Um, <laughs> So, um, yeah, I mean, there is definitely more ways to do it. If you run cranks, especially if they're up tight, like if they're coming off spawn or, uh, you know, they're, they're going up to spawn, you can get them in the mornings. But once they get out deeper, then you really, it does, it's, not as, it's not as effective. And it's definitely not something that I would put, I wouldn't put money on that over jigging any day. Yeah. <laughs> put it that way. No. Now, one thing um, that, that I guess when we always jigged, like we always jigged it like pretty, I guess, pretty high, pretty aggressively. And I've heard more and more that it's a more of a subtle jig. Like you're maybe only like raising that jig like six inches to a foot. Like, a, or, and we, we've always done like, I probably, maybe we're just too yeah, like okay. aggressive fishermen. Yeah, I, I think power we, musky, fishermen, we musky fish too often. Too yeah, much, so, so like we're, like, we're, we're, we're jigging it like, it, we figure like know? we're covering more of the water column, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> so what's your, I guess, Pretty what's your take special. on that? Like, are you looking for more of a subtle, like keeping it within the strike zone or? So that, that's, that's a good question. So, the one thing that a lot of people don't realize is that color is infinitely less important than cadence. Cadence is the number one factor when you're on that river. I don't care who you are. Like every day in the boat, somebody's hot. It has nothing to do with color. All right. Color is a small factor. It's a factor, but it's a small one. Cadence is more important, which when I'm talking about cadence, I mean the rhythm of your jig, how high you're lifting it, how fast you're lifting it, how fast you're dropping it. Like that is super important. It changes every day. There's no right or wrong. Like, I mean, some days they want it more aggressively. Normally in the spring, general rule of thumb, just like with moskies uh, or anything for that matter, you know, your more ag- aggressive jigging works when the water is warmer, when the fish, especially when they're post spawn and on days where they're biting. And then your really subtle jigs where you're not lifting it as high and, and going much slower, that's better in the cold water or when the fish are really lethargic. So in general, the first two to three weeks of the season, 
I mean, like I, I basically am jigging it so I'm jigging it so little that I, you you almost from a distance you can't even tell I'm moving the rod sometimes. Yeah. Especially if you're going for big. If you want to go and get 16 inches, even when the water's 38 degrees, you can jig a little more aggressively. They they are more drawn to the sound. They're not as picky. Um, but once you get post spawn, then you know you get uh, you get the water 45, 46, 47. Those fish are feeding. Lift it higher, drop it faster, hit the bottom harder, make some ruckus down there. Those fish are looking for stuff to eat, and they'll come in and smoke it. So that's kind of the general rule of thumb. But every day you got to adjust. And, and honestly, if, if if somebody in your boat gets hot, don't don't immediately go to the jig box and tie them what they've got. Watch what they're doing. Try to lift the same amount, drop the same amount. Just I mean, try to mimic that that cadence, and you'll you'll realize that a lot of times it don't matter what color it is. It's more about how you're how you're jigging that bait. Yeah, I'm hearing that more and more often that it's it's about how you're jigging rather than what you're jigging. I've always heard like oh, yeah. multiple colors, like there's that pimp daddy color, there's the wonder bread color, but like you know, it doesn't really matter. You know, it's all about that that cadence, and you know, I have them all. I do, yeah. <laughs> I've tried them all, and well, they've all not worked. Um, I have every color jig ever. <laughs> are, are you more partial to like three quarter ounce or one ounce when it comes to? river is that just really based on current it's based on depth we're fishing really um and, and client <laughs> so i i probably use a three-quarter more than anything i don't use a lot of ones uh but i i try to i'm more of my clients use ones than anything else early season i'll try to go a little bit lighter because i do think that the bigger fish a lot of times will eat the lighter jigs it's a slower drop um it can help you to get some more of the big bites but i mean for me, a lot of times I'll, I mean, even if I end up with a one ounce jig, I'll try to drop it slower. Just like actually not let it free fall down and let the rod kind of guide it down to help pull that drop. Um, but uh, I mean, for me, I like a three quarter more than anything. If I'm up real shallow, like if we're doing some of the 10, 12 foot stuff, I'll go to a half ounce or a five eighths. Um, but normally we're three quarter and ones are pretty much what we use. And just depends on how deep we are and what everybody could feel. I mean, I've got, I've got one and a half that I use for guys, you know, I call it the anvil. Um, if you just can't feel the bottom, um, and they're, they're an altered, excuse me, they're, they're an altered, uh, lake trout jig originally, but I mean, for people that can't feel the bottom, they're awesome. And they, and they get bit, man. I'll tell you, if those fish are aggressive, they get bit because those things hit like an anvil and that, that fish can feel that jig 30 feet away. <laughs> on, on that note, Spencer, uh, I, I don't want to steal all your tips and tricks here, but um, all of them talking like uh, like term like terminal tackle and or like rod and reel. Like what's a like a good setup when it comes to we generally fish like medium stuff. Um, but like as far as line, are you running a leader? Uh, you know, some just kind of basic setup yeah. stuff. Yeah, so basic setup for me, I mean, I like shorter rods for vertical jigging. So like a six, six. Um, normally like a medium or a medium light. I mean, we definitely use lighter stuff on the river. Um, I'm using 10 pound test, all Cortland line, 10 pound test braid. And then we run it to a small swivel. And the reason for that, I mean, you can do direct line to line tie with like a uni or something like that. The problem is because of the current and the way you're going down, the, the jigs are always spinning in the current. So it wraps your line up. So you really need a swivel, preferably a ball bearing swivel. And then I run about a two foot fluorocarbon leader. I use 10 pound test as well. Um, and then uh, I'll run that on, you know, to, to the jig. I'll normally trim that down as I retie. Once you get inside of about 14, 15 inches, then I'll, I'll cut the whole thing off and retie it. Um, so 
that's pretty, it's a good, uh, that's kind of the setup. Um, a couple little minor things. Like I, I like high vis line. Um, not as big of a deal for your average weekender, but for a guide standpoint, it's nice. Cause I can see everybody's line in the boat. So I can see if everybody's vertical. A lot of times you got one guy that's dragging bottom some and he's not vertical. I need to know that, um, you know, stuff like that. Um, don't, don't go, you, you want your braided line to be stronger than your floral carbon. So that way, when you snag and you break, you, you break it on the floral. If you do even pound test 10 and 10, it will break on the floral. It won't, the, the 10 pound braid is stronger than 10 pound floral carbon. For me, another quick tip, tie a stronger knot on the, on the floral carbon to the swivel, then you tie to your jig. So I normally tie a polymer to the swivel and I'll th- tie a three wrap clinch knot to the to the uh to the jig itself and that way it pretty much always breaks on the end i want it to because mm. <laughs> you're going to break off some jigs and one other one other pointer on the river if you go out if there's if you snag up and there's boats in front of you coming down on the drift break your doggone jig off <laughs> don't try to go get it when they're coming. if there's nobody in front of you go and get every jig you want but as soon as people are in the way break it because that is one of that's one one of the shenanigan things that I've seen. I've seen people hook literally forty people's lines at once because they got so much dog on line out trying to chase a jig down. I <laughs> I like when the person I like when the boat's coming upstream and you see them reeling and reeling and reeling and reeling and they've pretty much pulled out their whole spool of line and their jig is hundred and fifty yards upstream because it in that amount of time for them to be like okay everyone wind in we're gonna go get it their spool of line is almost gone and now they're motoring through everyone trying to wind up i had one quick question and then we can let the other guys chime in spencer do you go with a traditional round ball style jig i my preference is to use a more streamlined profile just personal preference I've used both. Um, this, the, the more streamlined ones definitely catch a little bit uh, less current. Um, I think they might not spin as much. I don't even know if that's true. Um, the only the only thing for me, honestly, is that I have so many doggone jigs that uh, I've used the round ones forever. I have noticed, because I do have some of the other ones, that you have to be careful. Because if you use one of those and you, everyone else is using round, if you're, if you're as finicky about boat control as I am, they won't go the same speed, and it annoys me. Yeah. The other thing too is also I tell clients you're not allowed to bring a rod. You have you can bring musky rods, you can bring bass rods, you can't bring walleye rods because you have to have the same setup I do. Because if you come with 15 pound braid, I'll never have you vertical and it'll drive me bonkers. Yep. Because your line, that little bit of line difference, will catch more current. So, uh, for lack of a better reason, the I still use round ball just because I have thousands of them. And, I, and if you switch over, you have to switch over all together at once. I think. Um, in order to really do it right. So that's really why I haven't switched. Yeah, you mentioned the uh, the braid. So we generally, I've always run like 20-pound braid on like my pike setups or if I'm, you know, a bass setup for, you know, throwing tubes or something like that. And someone else had tell, told me that years ago that run 10-pound because it's, you know, half the diameter, it'll catch less water. And I'm like, there's no way that like, is that big of a difference and sure as shit like it is that big of a difference of yeah. staying vertical like you know the, the thinnest line you can um i mean not it doesn't matter that much at 14 foot of water but if you get out in 40 when you got a lot more line down it makes a huge difference right huge. right maybe that's i never 
thought about it because we've always fished at Trenton Channel, but I've, I fished up in like the Wyandotte area with, with some buddies of mine, and they're in like 25 feet of water, and I've got my setup. I'm like just struggle, riding the struggle bus trying to keep my line vertical and line twists, and they're just out there just catching fish, and I think I caught one, and they caught the rest of the limit. So, yeah, but... Yeah, those uh, those are some good pointers. But they, but they let the extra ones go because you can't you can't party fish. Remember? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. they yeah. caught their limits. I caught one. I I didn't eat much for dinner that night. <laughs> well, they can hand you the rod. There you go. Yeah, that's what true, they did. They true. set the hook for me like that's I was okay. a little kid. Here you go, buddy. <laughs> exactly. As long as, all you have to do is have you have to have it in your hands at point of capture. We we know we all all the captains know this all too well. <laughs> That's funny. Um, well, that was uh, that was good. I mean, that was super informative for me for somebody who doesn't walleye fish uh, a lot. You uh, you guys got any other questions for uh, Spencer? Actually, we had we had a listener one uh, that came yeah. in. Dan's got it. <clears throat> Let's run that one real quick. Yeah. So Joe Rohr uh, wrote us and he asked. Uh, so basically, he said that he's a guy that always kind of gets hurt and always kind of runs into different scenarios um, to where he kind of catches himself in a predicament. Um, and Joe's our only listener, uh, in case you're wondering, <laughs> um, Gets but, hurt, uh, like, like physically hurt. Well, yeah, yeah. He said he cut a chunk of his finger off once. Oh shit. Okay. Like while fishing, while yeah. fishing. So I, yeah, I, I'd so recommend I guess, a doctor. I don't think I'm the right person for this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess his question is, is how, how do you prepare for things that may go wrong with your, like people that you have on your boat or with your clients and stuff like what, what are some of the things that you do to kind of prepare for that kind of stuff? If anything was to go wrong first aid kit. Well, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, so I, I, I'm definitely a little bit more of a boy scout as some people have realized from some of my Facebook videos and stuff. Now you can see my garage and stuff. I have, I have extras of everything and I, I have, I'm always trying to be as prepared as possible. So I have a fair amount of tools in the boat. Like I, I keep, I keep every everything I think I could possibly need on the boat, so that way if anything goes wrong, I can fix it. I spend more time loaning tools to other people because they don't have it. It's just stupid stuff. You should always have, you know, screwdrivers and wrenches and stuff like that, some channel locks, things like that. Um, it's made, you know, you know, duct tape, electrical tape. It's it's amazing what all you can fix with just those handful of things. Um, and then as far as um, you know, health stuff goes, I mean, we have a first aid kit on the boat. Um, we're required to by law and it has to be pretty extensive actually I, I would say about 95 percent of the time the first aid kit does not come out and instead it's just electrical tape which i think works better than gauze and and medical tape anyway and it does way better in, in water um and then uh you know some peroxide as well is always good but uh that's that's about it for me um how many times have you had I, to pull really a hook know. out of a finger uh, the line trick, which I mean, you don't need much for that. Just line. Does that work? Line some pressure. Oh yeah, the line trick works. I've I've had to use oh, it twice. Shit. It it works really well. Actually, I hope I, I never have really to practice it. Yeah, I no, I don't uh, yeah. I don't want to endure that either. I hope you just didn't <laughs> speak something into existence there. I know I, I just jinxed the shit out of you, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if you have to do it, just hope it happens in the river for walleye, not with muskies. Oh, I know. Yeah. But, we've thought about that. Like, there's been times where you know we're fishing three guys out of a musky boat, and we're like, man, someone's gonna get hooked. Three guys out of a boat is is tough. Our, well, our boats are only sixteen or seventeen footers, so like you don't have as much room. <laughs> So casting some of those big baits, like I'm just waiting for someone to take a hook in the back of the head or something, and 
have to oh, I've done deal it. with it. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, I want a piece of advice. If you ever take a hook in the head or any, anywhere really for muskies, um, if you end up going to the hospital, bring your own pliers because they don't have any, they, don't have they, they will try to pull out, they will try to pull it out with forceps and it will not work. I have seen it happen before. So like they, last time I did it, I had a hook in the back of my head. I had a, a cowgirl hook in the back of my head. And, damn. Jesus. Yeah. After, God, damn after 20, after 20 minutes of watching the doctor try to get it out and she getting absolutely nowhere cause it wouldn't budge. She finally looked at me and said, swear to God, you won't sue me because this isn't sterile. I said, just, it's been in the, at that point, it had been in my head for, I don't even know, like four hours. I'd been to a, a clinic that said they could take it out. And then they looked at it and said, oh my God, no. So I had to go to a full ER, which is a long way away. This was in Minnesota back early in my career. And then she finally grabbed my, my foot long Shimano pliers and ripped the thing out. So seven, I think I was, I was 11, 11 stitches later and Good I was, dang. I was back up. Damn. Oh. You got pictures of this lure in your head? Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, they're on my Facebook. Okay, cool. Uh, go. We're gonna find go, go Facebook stuff. Pulling up Facebook now. <laughs> I'm on it. Um, yeah, they're they're on there. It's it's old, but I I can send you them. Yeah, I got I got actually a really good picture of the hook just buried in my head, and you can still you can see the tinsel. There's still some tinsel on the hook too, which is adds a adds a nice touch. It looks pretty. <laughs> yeah, shiny. <laughs> It actually happened uh, not that long ago. My dad got a hook in his finger. We caught a bass or a pike mm-hmm. or something like that, and I don't remember what we did, but went to grab like the fish out of the net. It kicked a couple times, and he got a hook like right through his fingers. Yeah, and thank God, like, I'm a musky fisherman. I had a pair of Nipex in the boat, and yep. I was able to cut off the barb and back it out real easy, and then just poured peroxide in it. But otherwise, like. There was no way that shit was coming out. And this yeah. was just like a bass lure. For that. Oh, man, we're looking at it. Damn. Damn. Oh, shit. We're looking at the back of your head right now. And Let me see. Jesus. Was that a client? Oh, God. No, that was him. <laughs> oh, was, that was, it, was it from you? Oh, or? that was a client. That was a client? That was a client. Oh, oh man, it's in there, too. Oh. oh, I thought that was you. Never again. You're oh, never- no, it's my head, but I was hooked by a client. Oh yeah, yeah. It was his head. Well, that, that's imagine? what I meant. That's oh, what I meant. Was he okay. hooked? Was he hooked by a client? Oh, I thought you were asking if I did it to myself. I was. Just, I was. No, just I, saying, like, that's how what I was I asking. Like a bad, my, my thumb slipped and it hit me in the head. No, I was going to say how. How did you? Like, <laughs> I could see Jimmy casting yeah. that way, but it would be over if he hooked a client. Oh, I have, <laughs> It'd be terrible. I, I, I've, I've had it come close before. I've had a few rods in my career that have snapped, and I've almost, I've almost taken one in the back of the head that way a oh. few times. That's. Well, yeah, when you're that, throwing that baits about- that are, you know, a pound or heavier, like, it, I always it, worry it, about that. Like when you're chucking a, you know, a bulldog out there, you're like, man, some, I don't, we don't have like heavy enough rods. That's the first problem we, like for that stuff. Like I've got a heavy rod, but it's still like, man, it's got some width. That's where those extra heavies come in. Like They're built for that. Yeah. We wow. normally account for like, Hey, uh, or if we're going to go musky fishing somewhere, like who's going? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, or how many people are going to be on the boat? Like, yeah. like that's something I I don't really, I, you know, we generally don't try to fish more than a couple of people on the boat. But yeah. I do have a one last question for you. Um, what is your personal best walleye, either you or a client? Um, so my personal best walleye on the river is just shy of 13. Damn. Um, my personal. Personal best walleye is actually is 13-2, but that was on Lake Erie trolling a long time ago. Um, 
So I, but right now it's really cool because the walleye in la- the Lake Erie system are getting bigger. We had a, a, a little portion where the top end had really dipped because of some bad spawning classes um, after 2004. Um, 2004 on basically for about a seven or eight year period, we had some pretty bad spawn. So the top end kind of fell out on Erie. If you watch like the fall brawl, which is the biggest walleye tournament on Lake Erie, it's over 10,000 people. It goes on for two months. It's a very good indicator of what's swimming in Lake Erie. And if you've watched what happened and happened in that tournament, the last several years, I mean, it used to be a 14 pluser to win it. Um, actually one of my clients won it the day after he fished with us with a 14, nine, seven. That was like six just years ago or five years ago. Just Crazy shy big. Of the state record. Um, state record seventeen, I think. Uh, oh, is it? Seventeen, just yeah, past seventeen a couple of years ago. Um, but anyway, but that fell off, and then it was getting won by you know there's actually almost no fish over twelve that have been caught the last couple of years, and this year was the first year in a couple that we had two thirteens caught again in the in the in the brawl. Uh, which granted that's, you know, 10,000 people for two months. So it's, it's a large sample pool, but in general, it's uptrending. And this year I'm, I'm expecting, we're going to see a lot of fish in that seven to eight range, which are a riot. And we should see some more tens. Um, the last couple of years have been lean on those. A lot of nice fish, but not a lot of giants. And hopefully in the next two or three years, we're going to start seeing a lot more of the 11, 12 stuff coming into the system on our high end, not on a daily basis, but in our high end for the yearly catches. So um, right now it's a little light, but it keeps getting better every year. Now, last time we talked about where you thought the the next world record muskie was going to be caught. What what about walleye? Do you think walleye, the biggest, like the next state record is going to come out of Erie? The next state record for Michigan. That's a good question. I mean, that's an old record, uh, I, I think. Th- I think that's been around for a you long You said 17 time. was a couple of years ago. I thought it was 15 before that. No, that was Ohio. That's Ohio. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. The seventeen, the seventeen was Ohio fish for Lake Erie. Um, obviously, Michigan doesn't have a lot of Lake Erie. Um, it's possible that it could come out of our system. I wouldn't be surprised if it came out of somewhere, somewhere inland up north. Some of those lakes grow some big ones. The St. Joe grows some huge ones. Yeah. Um, the, you know, those low density fisheries can produce some crazy big top end fish. Uh, our we have a lot of fish in our system. It'll be interesting to see too how how Lake Erie can do at keeping mass on these fish with just you know with a with a record number of walleye coming up. But in general, um, if you want to talk about a world record, in my opinion, world record walleye is coming out west. The yeah. Columbia has produced crazy huge fish and a couple of other rivers out there. There's nobody fishing them, and they get. I mean, they've had tw- they have plenty of twenty plus pounders coming out of there, which is. Is in a way sad because almost all of the walleye fishermen in the world are in the Midwest or you know Central Canada, so it sucks that the majority of the the biggest walleye is going to get caught so far off the beaten path. But if I was a betting man, there's no doubt that's where my money's going. Hmm. I've always heard Ogon's Bay has really large fish too. We've uh, we fish Ogon's Bay, we fish Little Bay, Bay Knox. Yeah, yeah, Little Bay. I don't think that holds the big fish a lot, but I've heard Ogon's Bay holds some real big ones too. Have you ever fished that system? Yeah, not, no, I haven't. I haven't. But I know like out east does too. I mean, the, the Beta Quinty and then across all that whole area, the east side of Lake Ontario has got some really yeah. big ones too. Yeah. Um, I know some guys go out and fish some of that and they get some huge fish. But I mean, we're still talking, we're talking 14, 15 and occasional 16s, you know, getting caught out of there for not for an individual, but for the mass of anglers. And then you go out west and I mean, we're talking 20. And yeah. I mean, I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a huge difference. Oh, yeah. I mean, huge difference. 
Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. Um, Jason, you got any other questions for Spencer? I do not have any other questions. I am chomping at the bit to get out there. Um, it was a couple of weeks ago. I couldn't take it anymore. I sat in the kitchen, or I'm sorry, I sat in the living room and I got out the box of uh, bandits and I organized them <laughs> just to do something fishing related because I was, I needed, I needed my fix, right? I, I didn't really participate much in ice fishing just because of the situation we had in terms of the poor ice year. So talking walleye, being on the being on the edge of, of being out there really has been enjoyable and it's been fun to hear your perspective on several topics. Yep. Awesome. That was a lot of fun. So what's next for Spencer? I are you got any more shows you're doing? I know you've been doing the, the musky show uh circuit, seems like, but Yeah, I've done a handful of them, but uh no, I'm done with shows last last weekend in Pennsylvania is my last one. So right now it's kind of the it's the dash to the finish, but mostly it's mostly it's boat rigging for me. I, I rigging my boat takes about a hundred hours or so if if everything goes according to plan. Um, so I'm hoping to hoping to get that all wrapped up. Get I mean I had five graphs I got to put in, get all those mountain battery chargers and getting everything ready. So getting everything ready, rigged. Try to get a, a dry run later this week or early next. Make sure everything works while well, I still have a little time to get anything any kinks worked out, and then uh, you know following week probably start scouting and get towards fishing off off to the races before you know it we're going to be on that river i can't wait dude. I can't. exactly oh this got God. me pumped up today i was i was outside doing doing some work and it was like sunny and i was out there in a t-shirt and i'm like oh my god am i so ready to be fishing right now yeah yeah well spencer uh you want to plug uh your pages you got i know you're on facebook plug your website any sponsors you want to talk about no, so, I mean, uh, if you guys are looking, anyone's looking to get out on the Detroit River and do some jigging, uh, like I said, we start here in a couple, in two weeks, just over two weeks. Uh, we're out there till the middle of June, end of June. Uh, I got myself, I got a couple other guys. We got, a, you know, a, some availability, but uh, definitely getting more and more limited. But if you're looking to get out, get a hold of me, Spencer's Angling Adventures, spencersanglingadv.com, spencersanglingadv at gmail. You know, my cell phone's 419-410-0498. You know, smoke signals, whatever you do, just get a hold of me and, uh, you know, try to get you out there. And, you know, it's a, it's a great time. It's really, really fun. The The Sinbad setup we have uh, with the restaurant, they do a walleye special. You can walk your fish in after I clean them on the fish table. Uh, you can walk in a couple of fillets. They'll cook them up right there. Walleye that was swimming 40 minutes ago, you can't beat it. It's a great part of the trip. And, uh, yeah, um, like I said, hopefully everybody gets a – it's a chance to come out and enjoy. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Um, well, I'll, I'll get all that stuff linked uh, in the bio of this, and then when we post on Facebook, I'll, I'll link all that stuff so anybody's looking. Um, I know you're just doing pretty much walleye right now. When do you start the walleye smallmouth uh, combos? When does that uh, start up for you? I start on May 1st doing rolling the bass in. Um, you can get bass before that, but it can be very hit or miss. Until that water hits 50 in the shallows, they're not uptight. Um, the last couple of years, it seems like we've had a, some warm snaps, and they, some of them will show up. But the walleye is just so good in April. I just stick to that because the bass can be hit or miss. If you have those cold days, it's really tough. But once you get to May 1st, um, then, then you're pretty much smooth sailing uh, for bass. Obviously, a tough condition, weather day can still have that happen, but at least they're there. Uh, at least they're around. So if they don't bite, that's one thing. But 
they're still a couple miles offshore. It's very, very tough to catch them. So you got to wait till they're in shallow. So May 1st for me, I start rolling in the combo trips and I do some, some straight bass trips, but not a lot, uh, but a lot of combo trips and, Smallmouth fishing on Claire is absolutely ridiculous. And yeah, I want to you know, do that this year. I tried last year and the waves kicked me right off that damn lake. So <laughs> it was one of those days, <laughs> like six footers no, and my, my boat's oh. not built for six footers. So, but no, um, no boat. It. No, no. Um, so if, if anybody's looking to book a trip with you, can they see what's available online or they just give you a call or reach out to you to find out what dates are available? Yeah. But it, um, first of all, I'm, I'm not that techie. Uh, and second of all, my, my clientele and guides are not, we're not that organized in the sense that, uh, the, the schedule is constantly changing. Um, you know, it, it, I, every time everything gets, you know, gets booked up, especially for my personal schedule, somebody needs to move stuff around. So it's constantly changing. So the best way to do it is just get a hold of me. I always have the calendar handy. I always have, I have a copy of it on my phone. So I can always give you an up-to-date list of what I have open, what we have open, um, and try to figure out what works best for you. So, you know, and I said, there's always cancellations. So even though my schedule can be, can be tight as far as booking out, there's always openings that that come around as people have other conflicts and things come up. How many uh, people can you have on at once? For a walleye trip? um, I tell people four clients, I, I can do five. Um, which is the max for our license, but, uh, that's pushing it. Um, I, I kind of say four, if I know you, I can do five, but you better not look like an uh, NFL offensive line. Cause that just starts to become <laughs> just oh, looks like we're out boys. If I can rush for 2000 yards behind you, then that, that, that's just a lot for the boat to handle. It's a lot of man in there. Yeah, you had five, six hundred pounds of water of into the live wells, and, and then, uh, and then, then the fish and the gear, and yeah, so that becomes a lot. But uh, and it's hard for me to give you the same attention uh, as far as if, if people are struggling to feel bottom and that kind of stuff. So, so three or four. I mean, the trips are based on three. You can add a fourth person for an extra hundred. Um, but, uh, you know, so that, that's pretty much the, the max. However, like I said, I got three other guys that I that work that run trips for me, and I got four or five other guys in addition that I work with uh, as far as sharing information and also bouncing off some group trips and things like that. So we can accommodate whatever you got cooking. Okay. Now, what about muskie? Do you limit it to, like, two or three on muskie? Obviously, you're casting. That's yeah, a yeah, whole uh, different so, animal. Oh, so, yes. Yeah, three three people, three clients is max for musky. Uh, exhibit A would be the hook in the head. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, the way the way that it works is my you know my boat's twenty three feet long. It's for six twenty two, which is twenty two eleven. Um, so you can cast three people, right? Three people can cast out of a boat comfortably. Two in the front, one in the back. So with three clients, I just don't fish. I normally work, would fish out of the back if we have one or two clients, and I just fish back water. Um, but uh, if you if you bring three guys and I just don't fish, so so you yeah so that I mean, that's that's pretty much the way it works for that. If you've got bigger, I mean, we do groups. I got a couple of groups of ten or twelve. We do we can do multiple boats, so no big deal. But okay. three three is the most. Very cool. Casting. Well, I know Bob and I have talked. Yeah. That we definitely want to get out with you sometime this summer. So at some point, I got to reach out to you and try to get something on the books for. We want to do a musky trip for sure. So for sure, I'll get with you here in the next couple that's of weeks. Get something, get something booked before you get booked solid. So, but. Yeah. Sounds good. Very cool. Um, anything else, Spencer? Nope, I think that's it. I'm ready to go have some dinner. <laughs> All right. right well, on. I appreciate you getting on again. I'm um, excited to do some fishing. 
Um, good luck out there and uh, with your your guidance season. And we'll uh, we'll be following along on Facebook. I know uh, you generally post a lot of stuff, not too much in season because obviously you got some long days. But we'll follow along as we can. But uh, again, no, appreciate I, I, it. I, I post a lot more. I post a lot more during bass and wall. I see and a few a few less. Uh, Feel a little less, little less secretive in that in that environment than, than for the musky stuff. The musky exactly. stuff I kind of go. Well, yeah, but must- bass and walleye, that's that's where I try to pump the sponsors, and I do my I do my social media aspect of the year, yeah. so that way they can hopefully let me six months where i go dark well, well the musky guys you got to spin the boat around because they'll be looking at the background and wanting to see where you're at on the lake right 100%. oh yeah i know that landmark i know where he's at i know that house <laughs> all right very cool boys anything else no thanks a lot spencer appreciate it let's uh finish her off with a snorty Ooh. oh okay we're gonna do a quick snort send it jimmy snort <laughs> Snorts where we take a, a little taste off of a bottle. Of apple pucker. <laughs> nice. It's apple. <laughs> it's it's apple pucker. It's nothing too harsh. It's the hard <laughs> shit. It's, it's just the rough stuff. We're gonna switch it up and upgrade <laughs> the boons. We do. We need to. We need to. We need to switch it to whiskey. Gra- Grandpa's cough medicine. We had a bottle oh, upstairs. I, I have like I think thirty bottles. I think the more we drink upstairs. it, the the less I'm liking it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It used to be <laughs> like a once a year thing. Oh, well, very cool. Thank you again, Spencer. Um, I appreciate it. Uh, good luck. We'll uh, we'll get everything linked in the bio for anybody who's interested. Um, if you've ever thought about musky fishing, or if you want to learn how to catch some walleyes or or uh, smallmouth, make sure you book a trip with Spencer. Um, I know we're definitely going to so. But other than that, thanks for listening. Get outdoors and don't be terrible.